0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 140 of the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm assistant to Peter Lightheart, the president of Theopolis Institute. Theopolis Institute trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In episode 139, James Jordan gave us an introduction to Nazarites by going over some characteristics of the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers, and in this talk, he's going to continue and build on that by talking about characteristics of Nazarites and how they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We really hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by this time of teaching, and as always, thank you so much for listening.
1: Here's number six, one to twenty-one. There are basically three sections. There's the Nazarite vow. There's what happens if the Nazarite is accidentally defiled. And then there are the rules for fulfilling the vow. They get a little bit complicated, but they're fun to work out. It's the glory of God to conceal things, and it's the glory of kings to search them out. If you like puzzles, here's a puzzle. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, A man or a woman... When he shall explicitly utter to vow the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to to Yahweh, and that's just to Nazarite himself to Yahweh, from wine and beer he shall Nazarate himself, with vinegar from wine and vinegar from beer he shall not drink. Now, the first thing I've got down here in your footnotes is this word flame. All right? There are a bunch of different words for man in the Bible. We'll come back to this. But these are the words ish and isha, which are related to the word esh for fire. Okay, There's going to be a lot of stuff about fire and Nazarites. One of the most important Nazarites in the Bible is going to go up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Or he's going to be seen next to a chariot of fire. Okay? So, to call... Instead of calling him Adams, or Enoshes, or Nefeshes, it says Ish and Isha. That fiery type of person. The person in his, God is a consuming fire, and you and I are images of that. We're little flames, little fires imaging the big fire. That is linked up with the Nazarite. When the men came to Elijah, what did he do? sent down fire on him. They said, O ish of God, come down. He said, you like ish? How about some ish? And he sent fire down and burned them up. And the king said, What kind of man was he? And he said, a lord of hair. A lord of hair doesn't mean a hairy guy. Okay. It means a Nazarite. So we're going to look at that passage. But this flame motif is hidden here, but I think it's important. So, then it also says he has to explicitly utter this vow. It's no good if you make it secretly. I mean, This is something you say in public. And if you're a woman, your husband or your father has the right to cancel it. I know you ladies don't like that necessarily, but Numbers chapter 30 follows this up to say that a woman's vow can be canceled by the father or husband in the, in the day he hears about it. Well, this is part of it, but a woman can become a Nazarite. By by Jesus' day, by the way, we don't read much. There are a few Nazarites in the in the Bible history, and there are no women Bible Nazarites in the Bible that I've uncovered. But by Jesus' day, there were Nazarites all over the place. People took Nazarite vows all the time. They would take them at the drop of a hat. Well, you know, the Lord do so to me and more if... And they take a Nazarite vow. There are women Nazarites all over the place, men Nazarites all over the place. And that's one reason why in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says that your yea be yea and your nay, nay, because people were taking Nazarite vows all the time. And of course, we do find in the book of Acts that Paul takes it and the other men who were there with James in the city of Jerusalem take the Nazarite vow. And we'll have to look at what that means. But um, there are plenty of women Nazarites by the time we get to Jesus' day. Some of them very important pious women uh, if Josephus is to be believed. Well, uh, continuing on, the second thing that we're told is, any liquid from the grape he shall not drink. That's an obscure word. Uh, we know that it has to do with liquids. Does it mean soaked grape stuff? Uh, doesn't just mean squeezed grapes. Apparently, it also has to do with uh, anything, that you, any liquid that you would make from grapes. I mean, grapes are off. No matter what kind of grape it is, grape leaves, dolma, you can't have anything made from grapes. Grapes dry or moist, he shall not eat. Dry grapes are raisins. All the days of his separation, all the days of his Nazarition, from anything made of the grapevine, from seed to skin, he shall not eat. So we've got two different things, no alcohol and no grapes. Third, all the days of the vow of his Nazaration, no razor shall pass over his head. In other words, not only can he, is he not to shave himself, which would be a different word, but he can't trim it. I mean, it's got to make dreadlocks or whatever. I mean, he can wash it, I'm sure. But it's just got to grow as long as it grows. You can't cut the ends of it off. Split ends, tough. You got split ends. they're just going to be there. No razor to do anything on the hair. Until the days are fulfilled for which He nazarated himself to Yahweh, He shall be holy. He shall let the locks, He shall let grow the locks of the hair of his head. Okay? Holiness is connected to this hair thing. Okay? Come back to that. Then the fourth thing that it says. All the days that he nazirates himself to Yahweh, he shall not go in where there is a dead body. Alright? That's not a law for anybody else. See, if my brother dies, I can go in the room where he is, and I can mourn him, and I can prepare his body for burial, or whatever, but I will be unclean for seven days. Now, I'll just have to go through that ritual and get over it. You get unclean by doing all kinds of things that are perfectly good and right. You get unclean by having a baby. You have to, remember, uh, Joseph and Mary had to bring the offering for Jesus when he was 40 days old. You get unclean, but there's nothing wrong about it. It's just a fact of life under the curse or near the curse. Well, the Nazarite is not allowed to. If his brother dies, somebody else is going to have to go in there because he can't for his father and for his mother, for his brother and for his sister, he shall not defile himself for them when they die. Because of his Nazaration to God on his head, all the days of his Nazaration he shall be holy to Yahweh. Okay, now we have two things now. What happens if he's accidentally defiled? What happens if he comes close to death accidentally? If anyone dies very suddenly next to him, thus defiling the head of his Nazarition. Alright? This doesn't quite defile him, although it does, but primarily it defiles his head. He will shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he will shave it. So he has to go through the seven days and then he has to shave his head off and start over again. Okay? Or in the Bible, do you find one Nazarite who has another man die right next to him? Shaves his head. You don't know because you've all seen the wrong illustrations of it. Let me tell you, Elisha did not have male pattern baldness. Elisha had shaved his head because Elijah had just died next to him. And that's what he was being mocked for. And we will look at this passage in more detail The whole passage is about uh, the Nazarite vow and its prophetic meaning. But that's why uh, uh, Elisha was bald, and that's why the deacons of the Bethel uh, seminary shrine made fun of him, uh, and they got bared to death. All right. Well, it says here, On the eighth day, the beginning of a second week, he will bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the palace servant, to the priest. To the door of the tent of meeting, and the palace servant shall perform one as a purification and one as an ascension. So one is to take away all the extra uncleanness. See that the being sprinkled with the effer, being sprinkled with the ashes of a red heifer water on the third day, on the seventh day, that's taking care of his ordinary uncleanness. If he was an ordinary guy, that would be it. He'd, that's all he'd need to do. But he has a dedicated head which has been defiled. And that's a more serious thing. So that requires actually a blood sacrifice here. Not a huge one, but a bird. All right? And then to recover, he has an ascension or a burnt offering, literally an ascension. And that's to make covering for him because he became impure with regard to the corpse. He shall make himself holy, sanctify his head on that day. Now we're being told, in case you hadn't figured it out, this Nazarite moves up a stage of holiness when he takes his vow. So his head becomes holy. If You're a Nazarite, you've got a holier head than other people round about. He shall sanctify, make holy his head on that day. He will Nazarate to Yahweh. He, yeah, he will Nazarate to Yahweh the days of his Nazaration, and bring a male lamb, a son of a year, as a desanctification. What on earth is that? Well, we mentioned it. We'll go over it again. Uh, that's the trespass offering, and the former day shall be lost because his Nazaration was defiled. Now, when it's all over with, when he's finished, when he's Paul going to the temple. To uh, do the ritual, to uh, offer his hair, then this is the instruction. This is the instruction of the Nazarite. In the day when the days of his Nazaration are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tent of meeting. Sorry, that is a mistranslation there. Should be tent of meeting. I left it in there from a bad computer. He shall bring near His near-bringing to Yahweh. Okay, What your Bibles call an offering. That's the word korban, which means something brought near. He shall bring near His near-bringing to Yahweh. A male lamb, son of a year, perfect, one as an ascension. And a ewe lamb, one, daughter of a year, perfect as a purification. It's always your children who have to pay the price. It's always a son or a daughter. So we don't want to just translate that one year old because the Hebrew doesn't have to say son of a year unless it means son. Okay, And a ram, one, perfect, as a peace offering. And a basket of unleavened bread, semolina cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil, and their tributes and their libations. Okay, their grain offerings and their drink offerings. And the palace servant, the priest, shall bring them before Yahweh and perform his purification and his ascension. Take away any defilement that might have happened and bring him up close to God by ascension. And the ram he shall perform as a communion sacrifice of peace to Yahweh with the basket of unleavened bread. The palace servant will also offer his tribute and his libation. Now you're getting lost. I'm sure. Oh, most of you are. But this just we'll get these details in, we'll see how they all fit together. The Nazarite shall shave at the door of the tent of meeting the head of his Nazaration. He shall shave it near the altar. In front of God, in other words, where God can see him do it. And he shall take the hair of the head of his Nazaration and put it on the fire that is under the communion sacrifice of the peace. Now that means the altar fire, although the rabbis dispute that and we will have to discuss it. But it goes up in God's fire. It's taken into His presence. The glory that is grown out by the Nazarite is given to the glory of God. Where else do you see something like that? It's in the book of Revelation. What do the elders do? They take off their crowns before the throne of God. That's what this is. This hair is a crown. It's called a crown. We're going to see that. And His crown is taken off. All of His glory is taken off and given to the Lord. The palace servant, the priest, shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake from the basket and one unleavened wafer and put them on the palms of the Nazarite after he has shaved his nazaration. And the palace servant shall elevate them. He pushes them up as an elevation before Yahweh. And this stuff is holy for the palace servant, for the priest, together with the breast of the elevation and the thigh of the contribution. Now pretty much every single one of the various kinds of sacrifices are mentioned here. So, here we have this ritual that involves one of everything. That's what makes a little bit you know your eyes glaze over when you read it, and even when I read it to you, chances are your mind was glazing over. But we'll get that glaze off, and after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. Notice that the last thing is you get to start drinking wine again. What did Jesus say? I won't not drink wine until I drink it new in the kingdom." that means it's all totally finished. If Jesus can drink wine with us in the kingdom, it's finished. So everything this talks about and all the other Nazarites and their different works that they do in the Old Testament, which they finish and they get to drink wine, that's all pointing to Jesus. And the reason that we have wine on Sunday morning and the priests were forbidden to have wine in the tabernacle is because Jesus has finished all of this, and now we have wine in the kingdom. So that's, that's the, the biggest picture. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the instruction of the Nazarite who brings his near bringing to Yahweh for his Nazaration. Besides whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow that he vowed, so he must perform according to the instruction of his Nazaration. Okay, what he means is you take a vow to do something. Once you've done it, if you, then you bring that also at the time that you are cleansed. Now, as is so often the case in a given pericope in the Bible, there are significant words a significant number of times. And the word Nazir in its verb and noun form, Nazirite or separation or separate himself, occurs 24 times here. And that's deliberate. I mean, that's, There's no accident there. Uh, Two times twelve. Yahweh occurs ten times in the speech that He gives. The word holy occurs four times. Head and hair together occur ten times. And these are the things about glory. The glory of the man in his head and hair, which is tenfold, is given to Yahweh, who is tenfold in the passage. So those associations are not accidentally part of the literary artistry here. Well, we've got a few minutes to start looking at the vow itself. And I want to do that because Getting all of this stuff in our heads is going to take more than one pass. so we'll start getting the big picture. First of all, the flames. if the word ish and Isha are being used, an ish dedicates himself to be a Nazarite, and Isha dedicates herself to be a Nazarite. These flames, well, notice what happens at the end. The hair grown out by these flames is put into the fire, okay? So it's not, it's not man made of earth, Adam who takes the vow. It's the flaming man who takes the vow. Elijah is seen with the fire. The fire, fiery chariot comes to take his head of fire. In Acts chapter 2, flames of fire come on the disciples. They're all becoming Nazarites. And then they baptize everybody. And When you're baptized, you become a Nazarite. In a sense. See, we believe in apostolic succession, but we believe in it through baptism. See, whoever baptized you was baptized by somebody else. Who was baptized by somebody else. Who was baptized by somebody else. I don't think in the history of the church there's ever been anybody baptized by somebody who wasn't already himself baptized. Do you? No, it's an unbroken chain. So we're in a river, See, baptism is this river that now has been running for 2,000 years. One baptized person baptizing another one. And this river runs all the way back to the day of Pentecost. And then it runs up to heaven as fire. So fire comes down here and then it turns into water and we're still getting it. That's what, it's, that's what it means. That's what it says. And When fire comes down on these men and makes each one of them a torch... Makes each one of them a Nazarite in a sense. That's flowing onto us. I mean, we can't very well put fire on each one of us. Can you imagine? that Baptism was by fire. You know, bring a baby in and dump fire on his head. No, we can't do that, can we? So the fire becomes water, and it continues that way. But it started out as God's fire. And so I think I think we need to see that it's part of what's going on in Acts chapter two. God makes His new army and we're all Nazarites now. And baptism continues it on. So you are a Nazarite of sorts. That's part of the fire image. We'll probably see some more fire along the way as we go. But the second thing is, what about alcohol? Why is alcohol forbidden? Well, you know the way to preach on that is alcohol is just bad and dangerous. And back in uh, Leviticus chapter 10... We need to look at that briefly as we come to an end here. Leviticus chapter 9. Tent of meeting has been set up. Aaron has fulfilled his seven days. Aaron comes out and blesses the people. The Lord bless you and guard you. The Lord make His face... And the glory of the Lord appears to the people. Verse 24, Then fire came out before Yahweh and consumed the ascension and the portions of fat on the altar. And all the people saw it. They shouted and fell on their faces. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered alien fire before Yahweh which He had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of Yahweh and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Now, see, the chapter break here is just abysmal. It breaks the story in half. The fire of God comes and takes the sacrifices. These men sin. They're not covered by the sacrifices, so the fire takes them. What did they do? Okay, they assumed that because their ordination was finished, they were just as good as Aaron. So they came up into the Holy of Holies with incense, pulled the curtain back, and offered fire. Did they get the fire off the altar? Maybe, maybe not. But it was fire that was strange. And God said, you're not the high priest. You can't come in here. <laughs> Only the high priest can come in here once a year on the Day of Atonement. Who are you boys? Who are you? And he just burns them up. That's the end of them. Now, as we read further, you see, God, Moses says to Aaron, it's what the Lord spoke. By those who come near, I'll be treated as holy. Aaron kept silent. Uh, Aaron, Moses calls to Mishael and El-Zaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and says, come drag these bodies out. So they dragged him out. And then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, verse 9, Do not drink wine or beer, neither you nor your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting so that you may not die. Now see, people have taken from that and say, oh, those boys were drunk. They weren't drunk. They'd been locked up in the tabernacle area for seven days. They didn't have any booze in there to drink. It's not about that. He says, so as to make a distinction between holy and profane, between unclean and clean. Well, wine is holy. And it's too holy for the priest to have. It's so holy that it waited 4,000 years until Jesus gave it to us. And the reason wine is off limits is because it's super holy. And so they can't have it yet, it's been postponed. That's what he's saying. Uh, that's just the beginning of things here. That leads us in, you see. Leviticus 10 tells us that there's no wine and the priests are not at rest with God in His throne room. Hebrews says the priest never sits down. He never enters into Sabbath rest. He's always standing. But Jesus, when He had finished, He sat down and we are enthroned, seated in the heavenlies with Him, we sit down. That's why us Reformed folks sit for communion. Okay? Because we're in union with Christ. And Jesus has wine while He's sitting there as a priest. Now we can come into God's throne room, the Holy of Holies, and sit down with Jesus and the Father and have a glass of wine. That's not allowed under the Old Testament. Because... The Nazarites can't drink wine yet. Their work isn't finished. Now, they did get to have wine with God, but only at a distance during the Feast of Tabernacles. During the Feast of Tabernacles or literally the Feast of Clouds. Again, it's the idea of being up in the air. Every year, the people would gather around God's palace, God's tabernacle, and they would build their own little tree houses out of branches of trees. So that the, symbolically they were up in the air, with the trees, up in the clouds. and each little tree house was here, all around God's throne. For a week. Of course, by the end of the week, the branches have turned brown. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is a reflection on the fact that the things we make disintegrate and wither while God's palace and the bread and wine He gives, that stays on and on and on. That's where we place our trust and not, only, not in the things we make, which fall apart after a while. Even though it's good to have them. They're good while they last, but they fall apart. Why was I talking about this? Oh, because Deuteronomy 14.26 says, on this occasion, you can bring your tithe money and you can spend your money on whatever your heart desires. Wine or beer. So you can have wine or beer near, kind of near to God Not in his throne room, not even out in his living room where the potpourri is and the lamp stand and the table of showbread, not out there. In fact, not even out. uh, You can't drink it out here at the altar, out there. Only way out here. You're still having fellowship with the Lord, but at a distance. Remember on Mount Sinai, twenty-four elders saw the Lord at a distance. Numbers six twenty, which we just read. It says, when the work is finished, the wine of rest arrives. But the work is never finished. Because we never fully grow up. Where is the first time we see wine in the Bible? It's with Noah. And Noah is the first king. Noah is given the right of capital punishment. And Noah executes judgment on his sons. No man has ever done that before. But Noah passes judgments on his sons. Okay? He's become mature enough. Well, that's 1,657 years into the history of the human race on the biblical clock. It takes a while for people to grow up and be mature enough to have this. And Noah, he preached, he built the ark, he passed through death to resurrection. He gets to have wine. Now, he's not a Nazarite, but the Nazarite is picking up on that motif. Wine comes when the new kingdom arrives. And with Jesus, wine, He will drink wine when the kingdom arrives after His cross work. And we have time to mention one more theme and that's grapes. Grapes are a sign of the land. Again, the good stuff that you're coming to that you haven't gotten to yet. And that's all over the book of Numbers as an important motif. So it's connecting up with what the vow is. In Numbers chapter 13, you'll remember this. Numbers 13, 20 to 24. As the spies came back, they asked. Moses said, I want you to find out. How is this land? Is it fat or is it lean? Are there trees or not? Make an effort to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. In the providence of God, it was grape time. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob to Libo Hamath. And when they went to the Negev, they came to the Hebron where Ahiam and Sheshai and Talmite, descendants of the Anak, were. Blah, blah, blah. They came to the valley of Eshkol, which means clusters, and they cut down a branch from a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two men. That's a big cluster of grapes. If it takes two guys to carry it, I mean, we're not talking any small cluster. This is, uh, you know, behemoth grapes. This is what the land is like. Is this a is this a fat land or a thin land? Hey, this is a land where they grow grapes this big, and you should see the apples. All right, but you see, the next thing we find out in Numbers fifteen, we won't read it is that God says, I want you to add libations of wine to all the sacrifices. But what that means is they're poured out. The bread is given to God, put into the altar, sent up to Him, but the wine is always poured out at the base of the altar. God is not ready to have wine with His people. Wine is not coming in. The land has not yet fully arrived. He says in Numbers 15, when you come into the land, bring some of these grapes and wine forward and then pour them out. Not ready to have wine yet. Also, we find very explicitly that wine that grapes are off limits in the Sabbath and Jubilee years. Can't get to enjoy them. Those special Sabbath years where everything is so special with God, no grapes. Leviticus 25, verse 5, and this is important. Your harvest's aftergrowth you shall not reap, and the grapes of your Nazarite vines you shall not gather. The land will have a Sabbath year. It explicitly calls these vines nazir. They're growing out just like hair, and you're not to trim them, just like you're not to trim the hair. They're off limits. And then in verse 11, you have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in from its nazir. Vines. This is a rare word in the Bible. So when it shows up here, it's important. The vines that are growing, okay, they're like the hair. You're not to trim them. You're to let it go. You can't have it. The vines are Nazir, separated and growing untrimmed like the Nazirite's hair. And the symbolism here is that man is made of earth. People are made of earth, right? What grows out of the earth? What grows out of you? Take a look. It's all over you. you ever seen those uh, micro-photography things they show in National Geographic? Little elephants and things? It's, it's a jungle down there. Those little creatures that live in the forest here. Sometimes you get big ones called lice growing in. Okay? This is the same thing. The earth sprouts forth vegetation, your body sprouts forth hair, read the laws of leprosy in chapter 13. You know, your body's doing fine unless there's this crater in it and the hair starts to die and turns yellow. Then it's leprosy. Read in the book of Job. Meteorites fall from the sky and blast holes in the earth. And then the next thing you know, Job is covered with them. See, there's a parallel. Man is made of earth. And a lot of the symbolic laws have to do with the parallels between the land and human beings. So vines growing all over the place are like the Nazarite's hair growing. This is a time when things are to be left alone. But when Jesus comes, He comes to the wedding feast at Cana, and what's the first thing He does? Make wine. John says this was His first miracle. Well, nobody makes wine in the Old Testament. They clean up water. They don't turn water to wine. And then Jesus, of course, says he'll drink it, the fruit of the vine, when he comes uh, into the kingdom. He doesn't say I'll drink wine anew with you when I come into the kingdom. He says I'll have grape stuff. He he means wine, okay, pache, okay. It's wine and communion. That's clear enough. But he's also referring to this whole grape thing. He could have said I will not have dolmas anymore until I come into the king. And y'all know Domas are stuffed grape leaves. Okay? So, he could have said that, because that's part of it, part of the vow. So, that's the beginning of it. Next time, we'll look at the other attributes of it, and look more, and then we'll start to look at who the famous ones are in the Bible. Like Absalom, the anti-Nazirite. Or like Samson, who was supposed to give his hair to the Lord, but who gave it to somebody else.
0: If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.